1: Welcome to ATL and twenty nine, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here again with Tyler Jones. Uh, it's been an interesting week since we last spoke. Uh, we've seen the Bucks for the second time in I don't know what is it ten days or so. Uh, yep. what, what did you think of Mike Budenholzer's return to Atlanta?
2: I didn't think much of Mike Budenholzer's return. Um... I don't know. I I got. I don't particularly care how the season went last year, um, or really with the last two years of Mike Budenholzer's Holder, tenure in Atlanta. Not necessarily. Just I don't know. I, I I like. I'm I'm happy that he's found a team that's ready to win now, and he can, you know. He basically has carte blanche to do what he wants, and you know he gets a he finally gets a coach a genuine like superstar talent, um, and you can see how his scheme has really uh, boosted the Bucks as a team. But as a person, I eh, mean, he was only here for what, five. Years? I mean, he's the best coach in Hawks history, but those last two years kind of soured me on him as a person. So I'm. I'm I was indifferent, if, if I was being honest. It's like it, it's not like I didn't like him or that I hate him. It's just it's like he's just another uh, guy in the league to me. Uh, so I guess that
1: that's what I gotta say. What about you? <laughs> well, did he, you know. did he
2: have anything? Did he have anything exciting? Like did he even ignore? Uh,
1: no, I mean <laughs> uh, it. It, it, he, he, it was the it, Stonewall it answers. It was it was yeah it, yeah. It you know. He was given a chance to be a little introspective, you know, maybe compare his situations and, you know, people tried a couple of different lines of questioning. At the end, I was like, you know, I, I hadn't asked a question yet, and I asked him, you know, is there anything that, you know, if you did it in Atlanta and you came across a comparable situation in Milwaukee, you'd do it differently because of what, you, you know, you went through here. And just, you know, gigantic punt. And then we were done. And I wasn't the only one that asked that kind of question. And he, he just, he didn't, he didn't want to get into it. it. It was basically, you know, some non-answers. So, you know, it is what it is. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to use the audio because it's, I don't want to eat your time up. But, yeah, we, 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 didn't, we didn't get deeper introspective in any way, shape or form. That's for sure. So that's that prize of the century,
3: but uh,
2: (laughs) in terms of the bucks, like, I don't know, they're they're just a great basketball team. Uh, You know, I, I think they're the best team in the NBA currently. Um, And, you know, I guess we'll see how, how things will play out in the playoffs. Uh, But at the same time, man, they just seem so, they got so many options. Uh, you know, just so many lineup combinations that they can throw out there on a team, uh, and then they got- they got somebody playing the best basketball in the NBA right now on Giannis, who I think has a good chance to win both, not only the MVP but Defensive Player of the Year, because some just some of the defensive plays he made uh, both games were just it's like no nobody stops John Collins from scoring at the rim, and like John might have had a third of his block shots solely against Giannis uh, in two games, like, on the season, because it, it was just, I mean, it was just incredible how he, like, John kept, you know, John's credit, he kept going, but, you know, Giannis didn't give up a single inch on him. Right. Like, you know, and the bucks the Bucks really did make it difficult for John in general on both games, where they're going to pack the paint, and, you know, it, it just boiled down to, and they got length to length and athleticism uh, to back it up to the point that, well, if John uh, isn't hitting his jumpers, then, you know, he's just not – they're not going to go out – they're not going to respect him uh, uh, out there. And then when he is diving to the rim, you know, they're, they're always going to help. The, they're just going to force somebody else to make the jump shot. And, you know, they had – some success in the second game whereas first game they were completely bamboozled like that that was just a fight out yeah that was a whitewash they wash. were much better they they were much better for sure you know you saw them put spell like they they in general put their center on Giannis because for all intents and purposes like Giannis is the Buck center um, at least offensively in the sense that you know everybody else can shoot but him right and he, like you want him taking mid-range jumpers, three-pointers, the, the and like and he, he made him like in uh, that second Hawks yeah, game. Both, he made and, him to his credit at the end of the game. Both games, like he was just making his jump shots, and it was like, well, you know, you, you're contesting the shots at the rim. Yeah, you get to the foul line. Some of those calls were kind of questionable, but at the end of the day, like you're you're doing the blueprint to stop him. But, uh, in particular in the second game where. They didn't really give up that many three point attempts uh, to the Bucks, considering they're a team that shoots in the high forties right. mid mid forties uh, every night. I think they only gave up like twenty eight to thirty attempts. Um, it was just the Bucks were just killing them in the floater range, uh, and you know that was that that was really it. It was like, well, I mean they're 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 getting to the floater spot and they're just hitting, and it's like, well, you know, kind of just got to live with that if they. You could say if the if they could if Alex Len could have done a better job of not fouling in a but could have done a better job of not fouling maybe they could have had a better job of stopping the Bucks overall but I mean they just I mean they got Eric Bledsoe coming down Trey Young's throat Trey Young's too small Brogdon, you know Kevin Hurt is too small uh, they got Middleton again Kevin Hurt is just not strong enough to keep Middleton from getting to his spot. Um, the only guys that can guard him are Embry and Prince, and Prince can only play twelve minutes in the second game. And you know, Bembry, uh, you know, he did, did his, you know, he did his best. But then, if Benbury's guard him, then brogdon has got you know Herder, and you know, Bledsoe's just you know a physical freak, and Trey Young's just not physically there yet. Where it just felt like a lot of a lot of grown men beating up on some kids, at least on the backcourt backcourt right. side of things. Uh, you know. At the same time, in the front court, I think, you know, Alex Lynn and John did a pretty good job of attacking the glass and keeping them in the game. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things where turnovers just kind of killed them, uh, you know, killed any chance of them really uh, having a chance to win the game. Because, you know, they I felt like even though they weren't making making shots, they were getting a lot of shot attempts due to the rebound. yep. Yeah. I mean, when, when you turn the ball over 18-plus times a game, it, it, it's just tough, especially against a team, especially against, you know, a, better, a more talented basketball team. You, you're just – it's not that you're ch- giving away possessions. You're giving away possessions, you know, on the open floor, which leads to easy, fast break points.
1: And that's how uh, Giannis got a, a ton of
2: his free throws. Exactly. To a team that, ha- that you know, stars probably the best. Uh, open floor player might be the best open floor player in the game right now, Jonathan Antetokounmpo. So it's, he might
1: be the best open floor player in history. If it's it's not fair, he
2: he might possibly be that. Considering that once he gets ahead of scene, the there's nothing you can do but foul him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah, it, it it it's tough. It's tough. It was it was it was always going to be a tough matchup, especially without Bayes Moore and really Prince. Even though Prince did play, he only played 12 minutes, right? Because you really you just missed having you know more athletic bodies to throw at the various you know wing guard talents that the that the Bucks employ. So you know that's a the super talent. Like man, I'm like to me the Bucks feel like the most complete team in the NBA. Where they 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 just got Giannis is so good now. Where. As long as you surround him with shooting, it, he's just so he's hard to stop one on one. So it's you know. It's well, just, wait
1: a second. It, it, it. I, ahead, I, I believe in that offense. Like Giannis and four shooters, that's that's a good recipe. You know, Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon. Those you know, you've got enough secondary creation. You know, Lopez and Elias over. You know, they they're big. They can make shots. They can rebound. Lopez has been amazing, like attacking closeouts this season. Like you wouldn't have expected that three years ago, but he just takes these super long strides and just kind of glides really, really slowly to the rim and finishes. Let me,
2: let me, let me counter with that. I, I thought I, have always found Brook Lopez to be massively underrated, uh, and he's always been really good at just being huge and like, like on the offensive end where he would just like if he has an advantage um uh, and you don't send the double team like he'll just get to the rim and, it's just and, like it won't it won't matter because he's so big like he is huge like that's he's a huge big huge man and he's skilled i remember the brooklyn hawks series uh way way back yeah um uh, where he just torched Al Wolford. sure all series like that was yeah. like if that was the biggest. Like people were like, the Hawks just swept that net team. That was a bad Nets team, but like uh, Brooklyn just, like Brook Lopez just dominated the Hawks uh, front court that entire series. It kept it kept that series closer than it than it probably should have been. But you know, Br- Brook's always been super underrated to me, and now that he's just bombing from three pointers, three point range, it's, it,
1: it's unfair with his Yeah, with his
2: skill set, like. That that's the sign like to me that's the signing of the summer. Like they, they got him for literally nothing. Yep. Um you know, the Lakers gotta be I mean, that the Lakers just let him go. Uh and he's playing like this, LeBron would've loved to play with Brooke Lopez. This version oh, my of Brooke goodness. Lopez. Absolutely. Like they like the quiet I like I, and I, and that and that's where and that's where the that something that's where probably where the weakness comes in where, you know, defensively all of Brut Lopez's strength, he's slow footed. So at the end of the day you can get three point looks at you know, you can get three pointers uh going up against him. My thing is is this the best teams in the NBA all have either all employ one or two basketball players that are not good shooters. That, that 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 have to be on the floor. And I feel like, you know, against the Raptors and against the Warriors, um, like those teams simply don't have enough shooting to take advantage of Brooke Lopez's massive weakness, which is he'll just hang like he, like he he's just not going to you know step out on onto the big shooters. He's going he's going to he's going to hedge on onto the guards, but like you know with Draymond just being such a non-shooter, like he's just like I mean he's terrible offensively and then with the Raptors you know Pascal Siakam he's been better as a three-point shooter but right you know to me I like in the playoffs I just wouldn't guard him like it wouldn't matter it wouldn't matter if he made five threes in the game it's like who cares Like you you're not giving up anything to Kawhi Leonard around the paint. you're gonna you know if, you know you're gonna you're gonna have as much help as you can on Kawhi uh as possible against the Raptors and you know hope for the best but um I don't know. I I, I feel like with Brook Brook shooting kind of mitigates his defensive flaws. And then even with that, they got Ilya Sova. I mean, even they, like to Buzz see, credit, that's... he found a way to. He found like to Buzz credit, he found a way to make DJ Wilson a competent NBA basketball player. Uh, where you know he still can't grab a, a contested rebound, and he's super weak at the same time. If he's just going to bomb threes and be an athlete and block shots, you know, on the weak side, that's a valuable basketball player. Uh, So, but uh, go go ahead. What what were you about to say, Kevin?
1: I mean, the stuff that you were saying about, you know, to beat Bud, you have to have three-point shooting. And you can't have bad shooters on the floor. And Toronto and Golden State don't have enough shooting. I mean, I wouldn't pin that on just lopez i think part of that's just scheme i mean i think that's the way bud bud rigs his defense is to just pin a whole bunch of bodies in the paint at the rim always helping and that they'll concede those three-point shots and that's that's not really on lopez part of it is you know bud has picked a bunch of players that aren't going to be great at recovering out to three-point shooters and part of it is just his scheme i mean it's it's so open to helping at the rim that opponents just get a ton of three-pointers if they want them and if they can make them and i don't know i think golden state can find enough lineups especially if boogie's healthy and you you know you run run him with with multiple shooters i i think there's a a way to beat the bucks i i don't think that defense is any kind of stonewall defense. I, I mean, it is at the rim, but overall, I don't believe in it. And maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not the Raptors, and I definitely don't think it's the Sixers. Well, I think the Bucks will throttle the Sixers if they play each other. The Sixers just don't have enough shooting to make that work. Sixers but just don't have enough players. Uh... That, that too. But, you know, they could run into trouble with Boston, or they could run into trouble with Indiana or somebody like that. If if the right team gets hot for a week, I uh, I don't know. I, I, Here, I'm, I'm not all in on the Bucks yet.
2: Here's my thing: um, statistically, they have been the best team in the NBA. But I, I'll leave that aside. I will say this: uh, it's more like to me. It, it looks like them giving up a lot of three pointers is the same, more or less. Buds running the same scheme he was running in Atlanta right the biggest difference is that unlike in uh Atlanta his team can grab a contested defensive rebound right
1: they're doing so they're doing less they trapping up, like
2: yeah 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 he I mean, he's they, he's, uh, he's
1: transformed it from that like there's le- it's a lot less aggressive out on the perimeter
2: well that's because and that's it, the it, whole league he really doesn't right. have to be yeah I mean yeah and that's also because he you know the personnel dictates that he doesn't have to be that aggressive style when you got Giannis and, you know, you just let Giannis be a defensive playmaker. He's going to make, you know, five or six wild plays a game on that end of the floor
1: yep.
2: where you don't really need to take – like there's no need to take all these risks when, you know, sure. you can just let Giannis, you know, freelance and do it himself. You know, he like to me, I feel like I, I hear you, um but, yeah, they do give up a lot of threes. at the same time, we, I mean <laughs> – like Giannis is playing the best basketball in the NBA right now and like I'm like yeah they give up too many three-point attempts but at the same time who's stopping them on the other end like I I don't know like I I don't know what teams do when at the end of the day you're just hoping that the Bucks miss open three-point shots like that that that's that's your, the scheme is hope Giannis has a bad shooting night from the perimeter and he doesn't kill you around the rim. And, you know, Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Lopez, DJ Wilson, Ersan Ilyasova, George Hill, uh, uh, Tony Snell. I mean, every, everybody not named Giannis can make an open three-point shot. It's just so – and Giannis, you have to help. Because if, you get, if he has a full head of steam, he's going to dunk on your team. Like, he's just going to score 40 points in the paint. So it, it I don't know, it's, it's just such an airtight team. Like, to me, they, they won't be the title favorites just because Golden State, Golden State, but I don't know. To me, I, I don't, that Golden State team is beatable. Um, this is the most beatable they've ever been uh, in the past five years. And uh, you know this Bucks team is playing at playing at at all like playing close to all time great levels. Uh, they're around like point. I mean they're around the nine plus point differential,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which I mean once you get once you get to the nine ten eleven range, you're you're basically an all time great basketball team. Yep. But um, they do have a they like you said. Kevin, they do have the glaring weakness of they give up a ton of three pointers. But the counter is. I mean, the simple counter is that uh, that that's their only weakness, and unless you unless I mean, unless the Warriors or the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors to me, like it's going to come down to the Bucks and the Raptors. I'm, they're the favorite doesn't necessarily mean the Bucks are going to win it. Uh, you know, just because all these strengths aside, Kawhi Leonard um when they've played each other has been undeniable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Whereas Giannis when they played the Raptors, they the Raptors do have two guys who have the size, leg, like, and athleticism to keep to at least not let Giannis bowl them over every time. Um you know, so I, I don't know. It, it should be fun it should be a fun playoff when with regard to them, but yeah, uh like against the Hawks, like it just felt like certain times, like the Hawks just they were they were playing the best possible basketball they could at certain times, and it didn't matter,
1: <laughs>
2: um, you know, right on both ends of the floor.
1: Well, I think for for some of the reasons that we mentioned, Lloyd Pierce started Amari Spellman yesterday. Uh, he's suddenly become interesting for a few reasons. What, what'd you think of of his game yesterday?
2: Amari should play every time. He doesn't have to go up against somebody who can shoot. Uh, so, like you saw his strengths as a defensive player when all he has to do is be around the rim and contest shots.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And then, offens- you know, and then offensively, uh, you know, he's 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 a he's a good offensive player, and yeah, he's got great footwork around the perimeter, uh, getting his feet set, all that good stuff. And actually, a- he
1: told me one just on the the whole footwork thing. Um you know he i guess i put this in a story maybe i can't remember if i put it in or not but when i was writing about vince carter he said that he changed his footwork from villanova to this year like he used to he used to do like inside step first like whatever mm-hmm. side the ball was coming from that would be the foot that he put down first and then you know take the second step and then shoot and then he's completely changed it to just no matter where the ball's coming from he's going uh, I think it's, I think he said left, right, but it could have been right, left, but whatever it was it, you know, he's he's changed his approach from one side and it's no longer directional. He's using the same footwork pattern no matter where the ball comes from now. So I, mean, I, I it, just thought that was an interesting thing to throw in that he's making that adjustment and it, you know, honestly, unless he had said that, I wouldn't have known or paid attention because his foot look looks great.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, if- it's just like he he does a great job of setting his feet every time he gets the ball uh, when he's about to shoot. So,
1: and he's got a quick release. Uh, like it's just, yep. he, he's decisive. Like he's he's decided what he's going to do on the ball flight. Exactly, and then pff,
2: um, it's up. I mean, and like in general, you saw like you saw uh, all of Amari Spellman's strengths. Now you could say that against Philly. Um, a team that had basically since NB was out, the only play guys who could shoot uh, at the front court.
1: Right. You
2: know, you kind of saw that, you know, he, he's got bad foot. Like, you know, while he's got great footwork catching the ball, the offensive player, his defensive footwork is pretty bad where he's not moving his feet, trapping. So he's committing too many easy fouls on the perimeter. And then uh, he's giving up, you know, open – open shots because, you know, he's just slow on closeouts. Right. Uh, and then on the, you know, on the offensive end, you know, going up against somebody who's not as slow, you know, who's quick, it can, you know, get out for him. You know, he's he got to make decisions with the ball in his hands, which he, you know, he's okay at. But, you know, you know he had two turnovers in two minutes, and that was yeah. just basically it for his 10. They were, they were the very
1: aggressive passes, both of them. Like, he was exactly. trying to thread was- the needle through traffic.
2: Yeah, and it's just like uh, can't play this. Uh, so,
1: I mean, it was yeah, good to kind gone. of see that he sees his teammates and that he's thinking in that way. But just the flow of the game and the way that they were turning the ball over so much, like time, place—that those weren't the passes to make.
2: Exactly. But it, it, I think um, it's but, good
1: that he wants to make that pass, though. That you know, he's he's not a black hole. That's for sure. He, he's he's seeing and thinking and and recognizing, you know, where there might be some opportunities. Yeah, but but those like those everybody were, else those on this basketball team, <laughs> it's bad. I mean, it's great. It's, it's really great bad. that
2: they're so unselfish. Unselfish, but I guess they're just going to be one of the worst turnover team in NBA history because uh, it's just unbelievable how bad they are. It's it's the single reason why
1: they're in the bottom five,
2: right, <laughs> in the NBA record wise because.
1: Like offensively, they have a great shot profile. Like they're getting quality corner threes at really good volume. You know, they're getting a ton of shots around the rim. You know, they're getting a lot of those with offensive rebounds, but still, you know, a lot of it is just mid pick and roll, you know, and if you don't get back there and guard it, they're they're going to get a shot around the rim. So like they're getting quality shots, you know, maybe everything except for free throw rate, but to get those shots, it's just a mess. Like they're, they're just turning it over too much. I mean, it's you know, yeah, it's it's, it's a good shot if you make it and the pass gets there, but they're just not not careful enough with it.
2: To me, it just speaks to the the talent issue on the team, where you know they're young and they they've got you know they've got talent to be good NBA players, but they're not good NBA players right now. So right. it's a lot of a lot of turnovers where it's like ah, dude, you gotta like Herder kind of Herter, he kind of makes his decision uh, that he's going to either pass, he's going to pass the ball before um, he's not really reading what the defense is guarding him. He, he I thought he did on the game that.
1: winner though, like that game winner Oh game. yeah, against the Sixers, absolutely
2: absolutely, and like he, he got in the zone and he was, he, I mean he, he that, that's just something he's going to have to get better at as the season goes along, but you know, he's been a bad offender of it. DeAndre Bembry, his turnovers are just are just disaster considering, like, he's not really that – like, it's not like he's a high assist guy. Right. I um, mean, six
1: turnovers, it's seven turnovers. not like turnovers. he's a four, a four yeah,
2: exactly. in general. So right. it's it's one of those scenarios where it's like, why are you in particular turning – like, you in particular can't turn the basketball over.
1: Not, like, not you, that you
2: much. Just, yeah, you're just – you're like, it's just – like that—that's kind of a killer. And really, you look at it, it's—you know—Brad said it on on the previous pod where it's just—you know—basically every perimeter player on this basketball team is at, has a turnover rate over fifteen percent. they they're just all bad at it. Uh, Jeremy Lynn included. Yep. Um, and it's particularly bad with Jeremy because he's a—he's a sneaky mediocre passer. Like he's—he's he's not a very good passer. Uh, right so it's it's weird that he turns the ball over so much but but he does because
1: it's like he understands everything about the pick and roll except like except the pass like he he's he knows every angle he knows every dribble combination to use but then you know if it's a pass it's just
2: yeah, if there's a pass that needs to be made, like, it's 50-50. It's hit or miss. Either, yeah, exactly. And so that, that just leads to his high turnover rate, which is damaging because it's not like he's in a high assist guy. Right, uh, that too. You know, as a as a point guard, he's never, you know, really been that. But he's always been a high turnover guy. And at the end of the day, you can't accept those high turnover rates from Trey Young and Jeremy Lin just because they're you're really – they're your primary ball handlers, your primary playmakers, sure, all that good stuff. But it's it's the other guys: Kevin Herter, Torian it's Prince, Brie. Torian Prince, Bazemore, Kent Bazemore, Alex <laughs> Lynn, yep. Dwayne Desmond Even, yep. um, it, you know, it, it's just these guys who really shouldn't have. They they shouldn't be turning the ball over this much, considering considering their role in the offense. But they do. Just because, like to me, it's like you know they probably wouldn't turn the ball over that much if the Hawks had you know an elite offensive perimeter player. Like if they had a, um, I don't know, a, I mean even a Demar Derozan like right, you know, sure. Uh, just a guy, a guy who will, who won't turn the ball over and he will get the shots up and he will monopolize the offense. Um, you know, maybe and. You know he, you know Demar has turned himself into a pretty good passer, and absolutely. And, and like if the Hawks had him, like if the Hawks had him starting at the two guard, um, uh, you know, the Hawks would be, they'd probably be a pretty good basketball team. Uh, Demar Derozan's flaws and all, like at the end of the day, he's not going to turn the ball over. Yep, uh, that's something that he's really good at. He's and a good passer, it's, and that's what you know the Hawks need. Uh, going forward is you know either a wing or a, you know a hybrid talent who uh, is such a, you know, offensive force with the ball in his hands uh, to take the pressure off the of tray. You know, like we've talked before, and give take a little bit of pressure off the of tray Young really take pressure off of everybody on the team where he has the size strength and athleticism to really be an offense onto himself. Um, so that's just like, to me, it's just, and, you know, it's the Hawks have a lot of more offensive talent than, than uh, people realize where, you know, I, I tweeted this before, like the Hawks can make an open three-pointer. Uh, they got a bunch of you know quality shooters, yep. even if their shooting percentage the doesn't show it. You know they have got they got good good shooters on this team across the floor. It's just that th- what they don't have is an elite. You know they they've got Trey Young as an elite playmaker um, already, but you know he's so small; it's so easy just to beat him up. Sometimes and take the ball from him. Right, And that's just something we're going to have to live with for the next two, three years with him in particular. But if the Hawks had, like, a DeMar DeRozan type um, or, you know, just somebody that can also handle the ball and make plays that play alongside Trey Young, um, I feel like the turnover probably wouldn't be as bad as it was. It probably would still be bad, but it wouldn't be how, like, miserable it is. You know, Zach Low wrote in his kids' columns... <laughs> That the Hawks turn the ball over as if they get paid to do so, and it's like, yeah, it feels like it feels like it's it's in their contract. They get an extra extra grand or two every time they turn the basketball over because it, it's just, I mean, some of the turnovers are just, ugh, come yeah. on, Mike. But you know, it just speaks to, hey, you know, Bembry shouldn't have the ball in his hand that much. Why didn't they have the ball in his hand that much? Well, because the Hawks don't really have right. that perimeter player. I remember uh, early in know, the season. Hurting.
1: Early in the season, Coach Pierce said something to the effect of, you know, Bembry's the one guy that, you know, we can have make a play without a pick. And that's really what the Hawks need. But, you know, Bembry might be the guy making plays without a pick, but, you know, he's doing it and turning the ball over a lot. Like, you need yeah. somebody, you need somebody who can create without necessarily having to rely on the pick and roll so much because that's where they're getting a lot of the crowds that are, you know closing in on guys and and forcing, you know, passes where you don't really have an angle to make it. And if, you know, if you just stayed space and had a guy that could just go one-on-one and make a play without being a turnover disaster, that, that would be a relief for a lot of what this team needs. I mean, Trey's not really that guy. Like he, he's more of a pick and roll player. He's not, unless he gets out there in space on a big, he's not really just kind of a, I'm going to take you one-on-one and see what I get.
2: Yeah, and it's like it's not that Trey can't do it, but because he's not that big, he's not that big. It's like okay, you beat you beat your guy, but you know he's still right there to block his shot from behind, or exactly, you know, do you know, you know, they they send help to him, and now he has to navigate those trees, and you know, you see a lot of Trey's turnovers where where it it it, it's just a it's a you know. He's doing like he's he's being asked to do everything, right. and it's like that's right. You know, he needs he needs somebody else, and you know that that's that's just going to be the issue until the Hawks get that somebody else. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't even think about it. But man, DeMar DeRozan would really unlock this offense. Like, I don't <laughs> like DeMar DeRozan <laughs> as a basketball right. player at all. Right, right, but right. I'm like, man, if the Hawks had DeRozan, they'd be a pretty decent basketball team. Yeah, yeah. I, and that's not even me being, you know. Homorific. That's me being like. I mean, he kind of would clean up a lot of the Hawks' problems on offense, uh, which is just turnovers. Uh, So, you know, and and it goes to show like what the type of talent that you know the Hawks maybe want to look for in the draft, and you know, maybe somebody not necessarily not nearly as good as Demar Derozan, but that type of player in free agency uh, going forward. uh, You know, but overall, like, I mean. We just got live, sadly, we're all just going to have to live with the turnovers. I didn't think it could, like, I didn't think it'd get this bad. Uh, I thought, you know, it'd regress back to, you know, just merely being bad, but it's just, it's just a disaster. It, it's the, if if you want to pinpoint what's the one, why are the Hawks so bad as a basketball team? It's the turnovers. A lot of their problems can be traced uh, towards just giving, giving the ball up at such a rate that just makes it so hard for them to win on a night-to-night basis. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
1: what do you think about uh, – did you want to talk about Kevin Herter today or is that a topic for another time? He's kind of kind of had an interesting yeah, week.
2: We, yeah, we talk about Herter. Uh, you know, he had the big game against Philly uh, – and, you know, it's been a, it's been a, like, to me, it's been a positive trend with him in that he's shooting more, right? Uh, that was the the knock on him in college for all of his talent. You know, he only averaged like 15 points a game against four, a four mediocre Maryland team. And he only averaged that many points because he didn't shoot the ball that much. Like he didn't look to score right. as a basketball player. And, you know, starting Kevin Herter has put him in a situation where the Hawks need him to score or they just flat out need him to shoot the ball. And they forced him. They just forced him to take, you know, a lot of jump shots. Um, to me, I wish he'd take more uh, three-pointers in general, just from, from like any type step backs, uh, crossover type of three-pointers. pull up. To me, he liked Trey Young. Settles too often for floaters, which he's good at, and it's fine. But you know, those those don't really lead to free throws. Uh, so, uh, but like he's been a lot more like he's been a lot more aggressive, taking it to the rim, finishing through contact, right? Uh, finishing with some force and some uh, you know physicality on offense, and that's been like to me that's just been a positive trend for him going forward. Is that he's getting comfortable just shooting the basketball. Whether you know just from anywhere, and you know the Hawks need that because you know uh, you know Kevin, he's got a lot, he's got a ton of talent. Uh, but if he wants to unlock the best version of himself, he's got to be willing to take shots, and that's something he wasn't doing in college, and that was that was something he wasn't doing at the beginning of the season where he was just comfortable only taking three or four shots a game. Uh, now you know you see Knightley, he's taking ten, twelve twelve plus shots every night and because one he's starting and two they need him. Like it the, the the they need his shooting. They need his, you know, they need his playmaking, even though it's not like we said, like it's not there yet, but you can see you can see small signs of it. Um he, he flashes it a bit and it's good that in general that he's being willing, similar to Trey Young, that both of them are willing to fail. And, you know, maybe get embarrassed on a couple of possessions. But, hey, you know, you got to at least try so you can know what your what your limitations are as a basketball player and then, you know, work on them over the summer. So, like, that's been a positive development uh, with him to me. Um, So hopefully he can keep that up even with Torian coming back.
1: Do you think he can get to the point where he's a high free throw, high, high, high free throw volume player? The
2: NBA, you know, that, that is such a unique skill you have to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he can, uh, but he'd have to get trickier with the ball in his hands. He'd have to, you know, leverage his dribble better and then, uh, you know, anticipate what the def- defender is trying to do and then bait them into fouls. He's got to be a foul baiter, similar to how Trey Young gets to the free throw line where He's just
1: more or less baiting them to foul them. Trey's you know, good like, at it. Yeah. Like, Trey yeah, Trey yeah, yeah. has the tricks. Like, you know, he's only 20, but he's got tricks like a 28-year-old. Like, he he knows what to do to get the call. I don't know if it's like, you know, a generous call or what. But, you know, he will do stuff to force the issue as far as contact is concerned. Like, he's he's trying to dig into you. He's trying to get his arm twirled into your arm. He's, he's crafty with that stuff. Sorry to yeah, in. I mean, no, no. I mean, and digressing.
2: That something that, you know, her, Herder's just got to work on. That's something you just got to work on. Like, uh, you know, it like, uh, it used to, like drawing styles used to be a skill, like a talent thing to me uh, right. back in the day, uh, which is back in uh, the early to mid 2000s and the early 2010s or whatever, where it was really just a talent thing if you didn't have the talent, you simply were going to go to the foul line. But now it's more skill based where, uh, not, not, not necessarily like talent as a basketball player, but athletic talent as a basketball player. But now it's more, you, you gotta be, you gotta be more skilled. You gotta be smarter than your defender. You gotta know, you gotta bait them. You gotta do all the tricks. You gotta learn all the tr- tricks and the trade. So I think Herder can definitely get there. Um, but one thing you definitely have to do is get stronger. Right. So we talked about ad nauseum, um, so that he's more comfortable finishing through contact instead of settling for the floater. Which again, he's got a nice looking floater, but you know a floater can only be so you can only be so good shooting floaters. Uh, you right. know, it's better if you you accept the contact and try to finish through it to draw fouls. But you know that's something he, he can get over time if he can get stronger.
1: Not so much the last game, but you know, maybe two, three, four games ago with Herder, one. It seemed like he was struggling defensively. Like I think he has a tendency to overhelp. Like he he'll play whatever the strong side of the floor is. He'll play to that side a lot and kind of let his own man do whatever way behind him. You know, he he will drift toward the ball, trying to jump a passing lane, kind of get in the way. You know, take an angle away from somebody. But there were games where they, you know, opponents were using ball reversal and just sticking him time after time after time. Is is that something to be concerned about? I mean, is that just a style, or is is he gonna get more aware? You know, what what do you think about that? Uh, you know,
2: to me, that's not his biggest problem as defender. Um, you know defensive awareness I, like stuff that that with that stuff can be learned uh his biggest problem is he's just a wet blank a wet noodle out there and it's just too easy Wait, what to go does that through mean?
1: him you just don't think he's strong he's enough
2: just, yeah he's just okay it's like um he he, both he and Trey are just so easy to just bowl over and get to the rim, and you know you just—I don't know. I don't know how you fix that. Yeah, when you're when you look like how they both look, like teenagers. Um, so you know, if they if they can tighten that up, I feel like the rest will follow. But. I do I, I find Herder's instincts overall to be pretty good. Oh, yeah. Like off the his, ball.
1: His instincts are good, but they're, it just seems like they're better going at the ball than when there's all of a sudden there's a reversal. I just think he gets caught a lot.
2: Yeah, and that, I mean, I don't know. That's such a rookie thing, though, at the same time. Like, right. You know, that's it, something you just got to learn uh, as a pro in the NBA where, you know, you just got to. You have to do what the coach tells you there. Um, sure. You know, if you don't, all, like basketball players are so good at this level, they will they will pounce on that single mistake, and they will keep pouncing on it until you correct it. So, you know, that that stuff I'm not concerned about. But the worry with both him and Trey defensively in general is that they're both light of flame, and it's just too
1: easy to go through them physically. Right. Um, I think Trey's that, been, you know, just to his credit, I think Trey's been – a lot better defensively over the last month. You know, it's funny Just kind of stick his nose places and just, just, I don't want to say try. Try is too simple of a verb, but like he just pays a little bit more of attention and, you know, just kind of takes the challenge of, you know what, this guy's going to try to stick me. You know, I got to switch in the post. And he just, you know, he gets in the way enough as opposed to just kind of flying off like he he was in like November. Yeah,
3: he, you
2: know, he, like the last couple weeks, he's kind of gotten a little nastier, mm-hmm. um, where he he's throwing his body around, and you know he's not like he's not just giving up, uh, and you know it's been a positive development, and you see it in his steal rate. Uh, yeah, you know it it's ballooned. Uh, re- you know, since really since December, where he's really just starting to get after it off the ball and really really paying attention, really trying to help, like even. You even saw it against the Bucks, where he, you know, he was in the right situation. Uh, he's just not strong enough to rip the ball from Giannis's hands. So, right. <laughs> you know, he would get there, he'd get his hands on the ball, but he wouldn't physically be able to do anything. But that's a big improvement over what he was doing before, yeah. which was literally
1: nothing. And I went to the wow. numbers to check. Like, I, I wanted to see, you know, like what on-off splits for the last, I would say roughly month because it was like 15 games. You know, what's – what's the on-off defensive rating for him the last 15 games? And it was basically even. Whatever it was when he was on was exactly the same when he was off. And that's that's a big change from, from what he was, you know, the first yeah. two months of the
2: season. When he was the first worst defensive player in the NBA by a, a huge margin. So I, I think maybe somebody showed him his uh, that plus, you know, his struggles in November, which basically got – which looks like it's just going to take his three-point percentage for the season because uh, he's been kind of – you know, he's been decent. I mean, he's been good to be decent ever since November. And he's a kid, right? I
1: mean, a young player like that, if your shot is a struggle, sometimes it's harder to focus defensively. And if your shot goes down, it's easier to focus defensively. So it's – you know, it's probably hard to even separate that. Like, it's not just and- – as Lloyd
2: Pierce uh, once said, yeah. it's not just it's not just the young guys who struggle with that. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but I mean he's he in general he's just he's tradesman playing better overall, um, as a basketball player. It's been pretty good to see that, you know, he he made positive uh, for both he and Kevin made uh, positive uh projections going forward. And uh, you know, hopefully Spellman can, you know, use this Bucks performance to really uh, find his place in this league, you know, at least, you know, salvage his rookie season, which it's kind of been hampered by injuries, but to me, those injuries feel as if they are a product of his, you know, his issues with his weight. Uh, And so, I mean, like, I mean, we, we hinted at it before, but, you know, Spelman had a pretty pretty uh, interesting quote to the AJC where he just talked about how he ballooned to over 290 pounds and he lost – that's why he went to the G League and he lost 20 pounds in in that time.
1: Yeah, he said, and pretty like, much me, I was fat.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, to me, I was, you know, looking at him uh, these past couple games, he looks in better shape than what he was to start the season. So it's it's like, you know, like Spelman's got a lot of talent, but the NBA is pretty hard, and, and it, it's, a tough, it's a super tough league. And if you're not in the best shape you can possibly be, and, it, and it's going to be hard for him because, you know, the weight he has to lose is the type of weight that that's going to take real intense like, not just training, but, you know, discipline, diet, right. and, like, it, it's going to be tough because it's not like he's not working out, right? It's not like he's sure. not, he's probably doing what, you know, now, now that he can't work out and lose the weight and all that good stuff, he's doing what he needs to do to stay in good shape. It's not like he's not in bad shape. The problem is he has to rework his entire body, right. which would require him to do stuff that uh, goes to the extreme.
1: Uh, and that's that's hard um, yep. you know and he's tw- you know he's 21 last time I asked him at least you know he, he lives by himself he does, he did not live with anybody so it's like you, know, you got to figure this stuff out what am I going to eat when I'm you know not getting fed a meal by the team you know it that's like you said that's he's of a weight where it's it it takes some real discipline I don't have that kind of discipline yeah, and I, I would love to lose twenty pounds, I. but I don't have that discipline. I, you know,
2: he should, Spelman should try to find a way to get in contact with Paul Millsap because that's something that Paul really worked on. Uh, you know, I
1: mean, he lives here during in the his NBA
2: career. You know, during his NBA career, Paul Millsap basically reworked his entire body, where he he just became a physical freak, right? From what he was before, which was a good athlete, but you know. He, it, it wasn't like Paul was overweight. And,
3: yeah.
2: you know, Sp- spellman has got to just, I mean, he, he's got to put himself through torture to lose, lose those pounds so he can unlock his athleticism. Because, I mean, it's you there. saw it against, you saw it in the Bucks game when, you know, he has to make a play split second. Oh, he just blocked Giannis at the rim. Like, yeah. he, he just snagged it out of the air. He had four blocks in the game. You know, he didn't have to move. He, he just relied on his instincts and his athleticism. And since he's in the right position at all times with that, with that head start, start you, know, he has a, you know, he can play up to his athleticism. But
1: Yeah, it happened you know, at shoot around today. Like, they, they, the, a lot of the time, you know, the media gets kind of one corner of the gym. And so we're in there for, you know, the tail end of practice. And a lot of time, the basket closest to us is the Bigs working with Foster.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, we're sitting there talking. I don't know if we're talking in an interview or just talking amongst ourselves. But all of a sudden, you hear, you, know, you see, kind of the shadow of somebody flying, and then, you know, the dunk sound. And and usually it's Plumlee. So I looked up. You know, Plumlee, he's a ridiculous athlete when you see him close up. I don't think he gets enough credit for how. Freaking explosive he is! So I'm thinking, oh God, what would Plumley do? You know. And I looked up today when that same thing happened. Of course, Plumley's hurt, so it's not Plumley, and it was Spellman. Spellman was way up high, you know, putting that dunk down. It's like, Geez. like he, he has that. It, it, I, I haven't seen it that much. Like you see it in, I don't know. I've you seen see it, it
2: when Spellman has time, right, right to load up. The problem is the yeah. The problem is the NBA is not is not a league that. Is going to allow you to just load up, right, and explode on somebody. Uh, so he he's just got to he got to improve his athleticism and get quicker so he can unlock all all he has as a basketball player. Because there, I mean, there's there's a very talented NBA player within Maris Spelman, but you know right. that's just he's got to put the work in over the summer, and you know, hopefully he does.
1: Well, That's fair. All right, so. Uh... The one thing I wanted to end with, because I'm kind of curious about it, just because, you know, it's it's kind of key to what the Hawks do. I mean, you saw how, how awful they were when John Collins wasn't healthy at the beginning of the season. And so, you know, I wanted to ask around and see, you know, what did they thought of of John Collins and just the idea of trying to land safely because he's playing above the rim so often. So I went to John. I went to Vince Carter, and I asked Coach Pierce about that topic, and uh, here's what they said. Can I ask you a couple? How do you balance, you know, you're playing above the rim. How do you balance that with, like, self-preservation? Because you see people that are bumping you as you land, and, you know, like, it's a tricky game to land from where you're coming.
0: Um... I mean, it comes to just being an athlete, I mean, trying to you know play above the rim. Uh, it's not anything necessarily that I have to watch out for. I just, I just think I have to be mindful that guys who are now actively looking to stop my role and stop me being an ath- you know, stop me being an athlete around the rim because it was an easy, easy bucket. So um, it's a process, but something I think I can figure it out.
1: You look around the names in the locker room, people that might be in a similar situation to you, and I think of Vince, has he ever told you anything with respect to kind of how to land or how to how to stay safe?
0: Yeah, um, it, it's sort of jumping It's jumping a certain way that allows you to sort of brace yourself in the air. Um, it might not allow you to get as high as you can if you really just jump freely, but... Like I said, it's something that I have to learn, and I think it just comes with learning, you know, how guys are jumping towards you and how to finish. Uh, so definitely, like I said, a learning process. I'm I have to deal with because I have other guys that can jump with me and get up in the air. So I'll figure it out. Thank you. Do you ever have a conversation with John?
1: He's playing above the rim so much. Do you ever have a conversation with him about strategies for landing or you
0: know trying to navigate the traffic that occurs around an NBA basket? That's what Chelsea does give her a ton of credit because, um, you know, as he returned from his injury, which was an ankle injury and, you know, a guy that is a high flyer and is in the air and lands on the floor a lot, you know, she was very proactive in starting to work on how to land and um, just from a mechanical standpoint, we've got B3 next door and they do a lot of that. Um, but really, just educating him on technique, landing, jumping, um, having a strong core. They, they, she did that with both Alex Poitras, who had a high ankle injury, and John Collins, who had an ankle injury. She's been doing that with them in the in the hotels on the road. You know, right after shoot around, they get five to ten minutes where they just focus specifically on that. And uh, you've seen him. He, you know, he rolled his ankle last night and came back in. Um, You've seen his growth, you've seen him play healthy for a while, but I think there's been a proactive approach by Chelsea with regards to him specifically on that. John
1: Collins is playing a lot of the game above the rim. That's something that you do, you've done in the past. Do you ever talk to right. him
3: about the safety of landing and the mechanics of landing? I don't really know what that is. No? I never, I never knew. It's just one of those things, being young and just able to do so it just was one of one of one of my things I'd ever thought about my safety. Honestly, I mean this is not joking around. This never it's just part of my game. Is part of how to get to, to the two points. You know, it's just establishing stuff, something for the future. And just you know, attacking the rim and being a protector at that level. I mean, what it, what it's done not only for him but uh, right for our team, leads. it's just created other opportunities and options for our team now. Do
1: you ever wish that you'd done something like that? You know, thought about careful landings? Do you ever have a landing where you're like, oh, I wish that hadn't happened?
3: Uh, Shaq took me out of the air once, uh, but how do you prepare for that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just one of those things. Obviously, I mean, you're careful. You play the game. I mean, but you just you try to play the game just being aggressive and just... So I mean, obviously your, your instincts take over as far as safety, um, but you know, at this point, you know, we're playing for wins, and you know, a lot of us here, when we play the game, we, we we're willing to sacrifice somebody to an extent. Obviously, so uh, I mean, I, I think you will be okay. He's young. So we've got Coach Pierce
1: saying that John Collins and Alex Poythress have worked with the the head physical, head trainer, Chelsea Lane, about the idea of trying to land. And, you know, John said he's trying to be a little bit more aware about it. And, of course, Vince takes the other tact, and he's just like, you know what, I land and I sacrifice my body. But, you know, when you see John playing above the rim, do you, do you wonder about his long-term durability if he plays that way? Or is it something you think he can maintain over the long haul?
2: Uh, I mean, he's such an athlete. I'm not really good. Like, you know, I like Brad. Brad's my boy. Probably going to go on
1: a podcast sometime. Don't say good things Uh, about Brad. Come on.
2: Sorry. That's my boy. My boy. (laughs) But, you know, he's kind of, and a lot of people in general, kind of a bit on the on let's say uh the conservative side when it comes to injury management right. uh with young players
1: and the thing with me like I, with I'm, a sprained ankle it's like if you sprain your ankle play that day like come you know if you sprain your ankle and you got to go back and get it retaped and come back 10 minutes later that's fine play that same day if you're gonna rest rest the next game
3: um
2: but like you know John's such a great special athlete. I'm not worried. Uh, you know, he talked about it. You know, you got to you just got to be an athlete, and that's and that's what he does. That's why he, you know, uh, you know that that's how he's able to do the things he does is because he's such a special athlete. And so, and a part of being a great athlete is avoiding, you know, avoiding missteps. Um, that will lead to ankle sprains. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is basketball, and those do happen. And, yeah, I mean, he might get dinged up a bit, but I'm, it's like, you know, he missed a lot of games to begin the season due to a weird injury that I still don't know when exactly it happened. Um, right. But outside of that, he's been pretty, you know, been pretty healthy. And, and the Hawks have been pretty, like, in general, the Hawks have been pretty safe when it regards to his health um, as a basketball player. But eh, just l- let the young man play. Uh, you know, that's his style of play. There's no reason to change it. And, you know, it works. You know, he's putting up all-star numbers this season. And, you know, I. It's on on the other end, it's pretty good to see that, you know, Chelsea Lane's pe- taking a more proactive approach with uh, both him and porters on you know how they should land and all that good stuff, but you know at the end of the day, like I, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. it. It's not as if it's not as if he gets hacked. You know he doesn't get fouled super hard because he can make his free throws. You know it's not a, it's not as if he's getting like beat up like Dwight Howard, and right. Andre Drummond, right. or DeAndre Jordan used to get beat up. Yeah. Uh, it's just. You know, he he's beating guys to the ball and then dunking it. And, like, before they even have a chance to, you know, put hands on them or anything. Um, you know, sometimes like he does get...
1: I worry less he about does the get, successful dunks because he, he seems like on the successful dunks, he's using that rim as leverage to kind of land safely. Like, he'll get himself square and drop from the dunk. It's just the missed dunks and the bad passes and, you know, even the rebounds, like... It looked like in the Bucks game Eric Bledsoe kinda undercut him like like he was boxing out, except Bledsoe was on the wrong side of him. Like you could kind of see him doing that to Collins if he had inside position. He basically had outside position on Collins and tried to box him out, which is just like that's dirty pool.
2: Yeah, and it's on the refs to protect the player. Um that's something the NBA probably needs to clean up. Um it they let too much they let way too much physicality. Uh, Inside the paint compared to outside, where outside you can't touch anybody, uh, you know that's how James Harden's getting fifty free throws a night. But you know,
1: <laughs>
2: what you about know, Luka? perimeter players? Yeah, same to him. Where you know they just bait it, like and Trey Young too. They just bait guys yep. in the committee fouls, and it's like you know they it's not, they weren't playing bad defense, uh, right. but whatever. But you know inside they just it's a free fall there and. And it's like, well, you know, we saw in the Bucks game, like, I'm, I'm watching the game. I'm like, you know, Giannis isn't exactly boxing John out. He's just mushing him mm-hmm. every time he jumps. And the refs just aren't going to call it for some reason. And it's like, you know, that's frustrating. Uh, but, you know, that's just something he's going to have to, you know, at the same time, he does draw fouls that way, too. And he does get a bunch of offensive rebounds, or he he you know he gets the ball back by you know bouncing it off somebody and getting the ball, getting another possession for his team. So can't ask John to change the way he plays. No, just hope the refs do a better job of protecting him and protecting from dirty plays like you mentioned, because you know it, it, it in general, like it's not just a John Collins issue; it's just a league-wide issue where. They do. They, they the referees do a poor job of protecting big men from from those type of fouls. But I don't know. They be, I don't I, I don't have any hope that that'll change. But you know, it, it is something you know we gotta all look out for and hope for the best.
1: You you brought up Giannis mushing John, and that just reminded me of something that I wanted to say before when we were talking about the Bucks, and I didn't. So maybe we can end with this. Which you know, one other concern I have for the Bucks. Like, how durable is Giannis? Like, he he was warming up yesterday. And he was, you know, he was doing post-up stuff with Skyler, who was, you know, in Atlanta last year. He's kind of the, you know, skill development person. But, you know, he's like 6'11". He, I think he played at Florida. So, like, he's working with Giannis in the post. And Giannis tried to kind of give him a little post bump. And he got his hip into Skyler. And as soon as he bumped him, and it was a very harmless looking bump, Giannis stopped, you know, dropped the ball, kind of put his hands on his thighs and kind of inhale, exhale, walked to the sideline. Like this was a really small bump, and it looked like it aggravated the hell out of him. Like, if I think if you see the real Giannis going back to that Collins play, you know, instead of just simply mushing John on those rebound plays, I think he just tries to out-athlete him, you know, just kind of get up there and use his reach advantage over John to get those rebounds. I think he was mushing John just because, you know, I I don't think he's feeling that great. And I that's one other thing that I worry about with respect to the Bucks. Like, I think if Giannis is feeling good and feeling healthy – he doesn't try to mush John. He just tries to get up there with him and rebound with him because he's longer and got more reach, and bigger hands, and he can just kind of out-distance him. And play. You know, he's not the athlete that John is, but he's just so much bigger that if he's 80% the athlete, he's going to get his, his fair share of rebounds against John without having to resort to that stuff.
2: Yeah, I guess that's something to look out for. He did miss the previous game uh, right. due to injury. So... I mean we'll see. we'll see. Um you know, you, you could probably say that about a lot of dudes who are probably more banged up than they let on. Uh Paul up and Hal Horford when the for were doing that in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh it didn't really affect their play. Uh, you know, LeBron James is the king of that, uh, you know, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, Kawhi Leonard got the same durability issues with him, where it's always like it always feels like he's one play away from having to sit for maybe a week or so, do something with it, with his legs, Joel Embiid, all like, it's just, it's the, it's the gift of the curse of being, you know, that player, you know, Anthony Davis, same, same deal where, you know, a lot of, a lot of those guys, right. It's just because of how they play, they're going to get hit, hacked, and banged on and you know that kind of wears on a player. so it's on it's on the training and the coaching staff to do low management until they get to the playoffs so they're as healthy as they can possibly be so I I wouldn't be too concerned about it um but it is something to look out for uh with Giannis um and but like we, my only encounter is that you know it's a lot of that in today's NBA a lot of guys who who are probably more hurt than they let on but they you know they soldier on because you know they're professionals and the team needs them right so uh you know but that that is that that's something you know you know from here you can't see because i mean at the end of the day Young's had a it had a great game uh but you know he's probably banged up to go all that contact and he has to go through in order to, to make that bucks team great
1: yep all right uh subscribe rate review did i get that right yeah subscribe rate Uh review yeah i got it first try and uh any am i missing anything is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about before we punt
2: no that about covered it um you know i guess next time we talk about trade deadline oh
1: yeah we gotta do that we still got time yes i got you know just from a first person point of view like you know, I was trying to write about Lloyd Pierce this week, and it kind of hinged on some of the stuff that Jeremy Lynn told me. And, like, like 2% of me was just kind of sweating it, like, oh, God, I got to get this out there. Like, they're not going to let me write this if, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I would have been crestfallen if I, like, wake up and look at the newspaper, and it's like, Lynn traded to the right. Ro- oh, shit, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah yeah it, it helped me get motivated to, to write a little bit faster than i probably otherwise would have so yeah we, we should probably do the same for the podcast and, and and get our trade podcast going but yeah we'll have to do that soon okay all right well thanks man but we'll right. again soon no problem have a good one no problem you too bye
2: today's episode is brought to you by cars.com